Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us this evening. We're excited about jumping into another topic that's going to be very timely and we hope quite applicable to each and every one of our lives. A couple of announcements before we go any further, and one is that we have put a blog on our website. It's embedded in the front page of the website, www.practicalprepping.info. That's where we can post quotes, news of the day, or issues that come up between podcasts, and sometimes it's just what's on my mind at that particular time. Now, it is interactive. You can post comments and suggestions, and this is where you can suggest topics or even guests, or you can do it the old-fashioned way. Email us. We want you to know that we appreciate our supporters, and here's how you, too, can support the podcast. We have become Amazon affiliates, so if you're an Amazon shopper, if you're an Amazon shopper like I'm an Amazon shopper, this will really, really hit you hard. You, we ask that you would start shopping through our website, www.practicalprepping.info, and scroll down if you're on computer till you find the Amazon banner. If you're on your phone, you may find that. Uh, further down onto the page, but there's a banner that will indicate Amazon Affiliate. If you would click on that, sign into your Amazon account, and then shop to your heart's content, it costs you nothing to shop through our site. It is not a paid membership. You're going to shop with Amazon and pay for whatever you're buying, but we do receive a small commission from those sales, and we appreciate that very much. That helps our podcast keep going. And we also would ask if you would like to buy us a cup of coffee, and that is a fundraising support as well. You can find that at buymeacoffee.com slash practicalprep. Another way you can help us out is to buy one of our books that's listed on Amazon. The titles are Practical Prepping for Everyday People and also Making Contact During Emergencies. You can find that linked from our website. You can find them on Amazon through our names or wherever books are sold. All of these links are in the show notes, and they are linked from our website. Now, our topic today is getting ready for winter. I went out this morning, and I noticed that it was noticeably cooler this morning, as well as this afternoon when I came in. It was. I actually had to put a little jacket sweater on when I went out this afternoon at about 1 o'clock because the wind was blowing, and it was maybe in the low to mid-50s. It was a nice chilly feeling in the air. Starting to feel good out there. But our topic is getting ready for winter, particularly winterizing your home and winterizing your car, plus some things that could help in case of breakdowns, accidents, or if you are stuck on the air. But first, Krista, tell them about our sponsors for today. Our first sponsor is ProLine Designs. This group is a builder of custom websites. They make business apps, personal apps, and they also conduct website hosting. So we are customers of ProLine Designs, and we can tell you that we're very delighted with the service that they provide and the many different design options that they offer. Our second sponsor is the book, Practical Prepping for Everyday People. It's a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And we say that it's not if something happens to you, it's when. There's all different kinds of emergencies that you can run into on a daily basis. And we want you to be prepared. 
let's get into our topic of winterizing your home. First thing that we need to do is to protect our pipes. Now, there's wraparound insulation. You can stop the draft from going under the house. You can cover outside faucets and pipes. And that reminds me, our new faucet in the front yard, we need to insulate that. It's sticking up about four inches above the ground. We need to insulate that. Yes, we do. We have a new hose, and it's got a multifunction feature out there for soaker hoses and regular hoses. So we definitely want to protect the pipes. Sometimes we actually do get freezing and very, very cold, single-digit temperatures, even in Alabama. And that's a time when your pipes can burst, especially up in the house or up under the house, and that would be a disaster. And we don't want them bursting outside either. So insulate those garden hose pipes. Okay, not just your garden hose pipes, but the water lines under your house, coming into your house, Mm -hmm. faucets sticking out of your house. All right, talk about checking your fireplace and your chimney. Right. Some of us have fireplaces and chimneys in our homes, and some of them are for real wood burning, and others are for gas log burning. And then other people have chimneys where they've removed all the wood or the gas, and they just use it as like a candle burning type of a space. But be that as it may, the the main concern is the chimney itself. It can develop creosote, uh, Sticking buildup, sticking to the inside of the chimney, and that's actually flammable, and you can catch your chimney on fire, and that is a terrible thing to happen because the chimney can actually make your house burn up. In fact, it's a very low flash point. It flashes at 90 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 70 to 75 degrees centigrade, and that can cause a mighty rushing fire inside the chimney. And I've heard those before when I was with the fire department. We had several calls with chimneys on fire and it was on fire on the inside and it sounded like a jet engine in there is it just because it's drawing the air it's drawing so much air in through Mm. that and it sounds like a jet engine now you need to have that inspected because you can develop cracks inside the chimney and if you've got a crack inside the chimney you know fire and and embers can leak out and smolder and there you've got it you've got a house in trouble now yeah you can also find bird nest in there and other types of blockages. My mother found that a squirrel had taken up residence in her chimney and she couldn't figure out what was making that horrible noise. And she finally got somebody to come out there and he was able to get that squirrel. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if you've got a fireplace and or a chimney, particularly if you have a fireplace and chimney combination, definitely have a professional clean and inspect that before you begin in earnest using it. We don't want you to be in any kind of a fire risk. Especially if it's been a long time like ours has been without having been used. Now, another thing that we can do is insulate our windows and doors. We lose a lot of heat through our windows and around our doors and around the windows. Sometimes, you know, if you're sitting close to a window sill or maybe the close to you can put your hand at the bottom of the door near the floor. If you can feel cool air rushing in, then that's exactly what it's doing. Cool air is rushing in and you are being very wasteful with the heat. Because if, if you're feeling cold air coming in while your heat is running, your heat's actually working harder than it needs to. I grew up in a house that the it was built in 35, and it was built out of material that came out of a 75-year-old house in another city and was moved there. And you could feel the wind blowing around the windows mm-hmm. when we were kids. You sure could. Now, one of the things that Dad did back then was put plastic sheeting over the outside of the windows. Hmm. 
It, It was a wood frame house, and he would put plastic sheeting out there. Now, around the actual window frames, there were leaks, but around the window sashes, there were leaks as well. So that blocked up some of that air coming through. And you can also caulk the outside cracks around the windows. Now, we're going through painting our house right now, and I haven't gotten to the windows, but that'll be one of the things that I do. Even though these seem to be very, very well sealed, I'll be caulking any cracks that I find between the flashing and the brick or between the flashing and the window. Now, for those of you that are not interested in putting plastic sheeting up on the outside of your window, you may just want to get weather stripping material and to be able to apply that on the inside of the window sills and outside weather stripping where appropriate. A lot of times window professional companies can give you advice on something like that as well if you're calling them. Or you may go to a home improvement store and speak to someone who's got some expertise in how to seal up and insulate windows. And they can sell you rolls of weather stripping or bands and bars of it. So that And it's just foam with a sticky backing on it. And you put it inside where the door rests against it when it's closed mm-hmm. and then cut that air off. Makes a big difference, though. It, when it you think about does. some people have 30 or more windows in their house, and if they've got cracks and gaps in each one, it'd be like having the door standing open all mm-hmm. night long, and we don't want that. Now, another thing that you can do there on sealing the windows or putting plastic on the windows, you can purchase a window insulation kit. Those are available at the big box stores, and basically what they are is there, there's two kinds. There's a double-sided tape that goes on the window, se- window seal and on the, the trim, the trim yeah. mm-hmm. around the window, and that just puts plastic in front of the window. Now, one of the best insulators is air. So you have that trapped air that insulates the inside from the outside. There's another one that's pretty neat that you put the plastic over the window, and then you shrink it with a hairdryer. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very tight. Now, the double-sided tape, it's going to be a little bit loose. And that's the way it was when we were growing up and Dad would put the plastic over the windows is we would hear it flapping and things like that. But this this heat shrink uh, just blocks it off very well. But you need some kind of blocking material there. And the same thing at the door bottom. You know, if you walk barefooted near your door, Sometimes you can feel cold air coming under that. They now make these like two-sided, almost a pillow type of insulation that you can slide the flat part under the flat part of the door. And then the the rounded pillow parts are on each side of the door, and that stops up the air gap that's down there as well. Now, as kids, we put towels. Yeah, I've seen people roll up a, coil up a towel. And and then when my kids were little, we had, we called it the snake. (laughs) And it looked like a long bean bag type snake. Mm -hmm. And it was about three and a half feet long. And we just put it at the base of the door and pushed it up to block the air coming under. Because at that time, we were living in that same house that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the roof. You know, the roof, we all need one over our heads at some point. And if you own your home, you've got to be responsible for the roof over your head. So this may be another time where you want to call out someone, and it may cost you some money to do this, but better to pay a small amount of money on this side and be safe than to wind up trying to inspect it yourself if you're not qualified to do so and you wind up falling off your roof and landing in the hospital. We don't want that. And we've had that happen to family members. That's true. So have uh, have a professional 
roof inspector to come and inspect the shingles or the metal or whatever type of roofing tile or thatch we don't know what you may have up there on your roof but have someone inspect it for cracks or any missing shingles also look on some of the undersides for any evidence of leak and that's going up in the attic and looking at the underside of the decking Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can see if water has been running through there it will be stained and it'll be very obvious that you have a leak in that area And you also want to clean off any leaves or straw that may have accumulated. Sometimes pine needles and a lot of leaves can clump up and they just don't blow off very easily. So it might be a good time to have someone up there that knows what they're doing and feels safe to do so to sweep off any type of leaves or straw, little tiny limbs and sticks that may have gotten up there. And then we've got in here, clean the gutters. Now, I particularly do not want to be the person to clean the gutters, and I really don't want you to clean the gutters. Well, I don't mind cleaning them on this house because it's only one story. Well, yeah, I know. And I don't get on the house. I do it the hard way. I get on the ladder. I'm afraid if I get on the the roof and get too close to the edge. Mm -hmm. But it's a very important aspect to have clean gutters. We have a lot of listeners that are already receiving snowfall, so we know that when the snow begins to melt, they're going to have a lot of excess water trailing down into their gutters, and they want that to drain off very efficiently. So Mm -hmm. everybody that's got gutters needs to have clean, good running gutters. Now let's talk about something that I need to make a telephone call tomorrow or the next day for, and that is to have the heating unit checked and to have it checked by a pro. We're having a little problem with one of our units, and I do believe that it is a capacitor that has gone out in there. But I've just decided to go ahead and have him come and do whatever needs to do. And while he's there, he will be able to check the combustion chamber and things that I can't do and tell us that that is safe because if there's a cracked combustion chamber you'll not know it until the carbon monoxide puts you on the floor oh so that's that's a life or death type situation it's very there. important and we had that happen with a family member not that it put her on the floor but that she had it checked and found that there was a cracked combustion chamber and had to have that unit replaced There's something else you can do that will save you some money, and that's to get a programmable thermostat. You can set that to drop the temp a few degrees when you're away. If we're both working day shift, we don't need the house at 68, 70 degrees. The cats don't need it that. The the cats do fine without it. So, (laughs) you know, when, when we leave on a trip, we'll drop it down a considerable amount, and we get home, it's about 55 degrees in the house, and that's kind of chilly, at least for me. And so you can program these on certain days. You can, if you know when you're coming back, you can program it to turn it on about an hour before you get home and it'd be toasty warm when you get in. That's true. Some people will program it to drop a few degrees while they're sleeping because they know they're snug and warm in their bed and then program it to cut on maybe 15 minutes before they expect to get up. That way it can begin to warm the house before they actually crawl out. Well, let's make that an hour before so it's nice and toasty warm. You know what's really cool I just thought about? There's some weather outside. There's, (laughs) yeah, that's, ooh, good, but I'm tish. There are some folks that are lucky enough to have a home built that actually has radiating heat coils in the floor. Isn't that the neatest thing? They can step barefoot on their floor like it's a hard floor, maybe a tile or a hardwood or something, and they've got these heat coils under the floor, and that's radiating heat up through the floor, and they've they've got warm, toasty toes every time they walk. I guarantee you there's none in my bathroom. Hey, let's talk about air filters. Speaking of bathroom... (laughs) 
what I did there? I see what you did there. <laughs> so tell us about some air filters. All right. Well, you need to change those air filters if you haven't done that recently, and you'll get a lot more efficiency out of that unit. And you probably need to change it about every three months, if not more often. The more air that flows through that unit, heating and cooling, the more efficient that unit will be. And I will tell you that that can be a time when a lot of folks forget. They just forget that they have a cold air return in the house and they need to open up that grill and take that air filter out. And, you know, if if you haven't changed it in a couple of years, you know, it's pretty awful. I don't think we've had one that we went a couple of years. No, we don't. But let me tell you what I do. I'm going to share a little tip with you right here. I take my little Sharpie magic marker and I write down the date of the new filter on the filter. And then whatever time period, if it needs to be three months from then, it needs to be changed. I'll go into my calendar on my phone. And three months from that day, I'll put a reminder on my calendar, change air filter. Because my calendar shows me every day, it'll pop up a little notification on what's happening today. Because I'm not going to remember three months from that day. But but three months from that day, it'll pop up and say, tell Mark to change the air filter. (laughs) exactly what it says all right let's talk about some grills and some smokers yes if you've got a gas grill that's powered with propane and you're not intending to use your grill now i know some neighbors will i've got neighbors out here they'll grill four seasons of a year and that's fine but if you don't go ahead and disconnect your propane tank it's just a safety concern it's just the good thing to do and then remember that you need to store propane away from your house you don't want to store that inside your house you want to store what's what would you say would be a good place to store propane we store them actually we store a couple in the back of the grill on the patio but our patio is covered and so they are protected there, but we do store some in the garage as well. Now that's in the garage away from there. There is no heating out there, so there's no open flame. Right, there's, it's not attached to the house. It's not yeah. attached to the house. It is an outbuilding, and I've actually considered building a very small outbuilding just for gasoline and propane storage, mm-hmm. or for flammable liquid storage. You need to do this as well with gas fire pits or with outdoor fireplaces if they are propane fueled. But now you need to protect those grills and smokers from the elements as well. If you let it get snowed on year after year, it's going to diminish the life of that grill or that smoker. And once you've disconnected it, you can either bring it inside Inside a carport, most folks don't want to bring it in their den. I know you would object if I brought it into the den. I would object. I I knew that. But you can either bring it inside a garage or something like that, or you can even put it under a carport or the patio if that's possible. And if it's not, and my mother had one for years that was mounted, it was not portable. It was, I started to say hardwired in, but it was piped in to the gas and there was no moving that it was cemented into the ground Mm -hmm. and so you can use a cover over those now one tip about using a cover when you get ready to move that cover next year and it's been a little bit warm out there watch out for the wasp they do like to build nests under that cover yes they do yes so be prepared for that now, one thing you can do, and this doesn't sound fun at all, but that's clean the grill before you put it to sleep for the winter if you have not cleaned it or did not clean it the last time you used it because it will be much easier to clean 
if you don't let it sit there another six months. Very good tip. Okay, we'll talk about some outdoor equipment. What we're talking about here are things like weed eaters, chainsaws, lawnmowers. What would be your tactics on winterizing those types of things? One of the best things you can do if it's a carbureted engine is drain the gas and run it dry. Or you can use some gas stabilizer in there, but then in the spring you need to run it well and then change oil and grease it. There are grease fittings on many of the lawnmowers and on some of the gasoline-powered tools. There are grease points or oil points on there that you need to do. But before you put that thing up, like on a chainsaw, make sure that chain, that chain is moving freely so that it doesn't lock up. Oh, good, yes. It, it'll slide yeah. on that bar. Now, be careful. You cut your fingers. I suggest doing it with gloves on, but just be careful with that. Now, you can use gas stabilizer, and I do use gas stabilizer in a lot of hours, but on chainsaws and such, I drain those. I actually drain my chainsaw and run it dry every time I use it. Is that right? And what would be the reason for that? It makes it easier to start because it doesn't gum up inside the carburetor. Very, very clever. You wind up with shellac building up if you leave the gas in that carburetor, and you'll wind up replacing that carburetor much sooner than you would have to otherwise. And so it's really very easy just to, to maintain it. But when I get through with whatever job I'm working on, and I used to do this and I learned it in disaster relief, it might be some months in between using that saw. Mm-hmm. So I would just turn it over, drain it out, and then start it and run it till it went dry. Same way I do with a boat motor, okay. an outboard motor. I will disconnect it on the last day and I will let it run dry. And I guarantee you, you go out there and hook that motor up and prime it right now. And I guarantee you it'll start. How about that? Because it's been drained every time. Let's talk about some areas that gets severe snow accumulation. If you're in an area that is very snow prone, you need to check your snow equipment. This is something we don't know a whole lot about here in the South, thankfully. But I have a cousin who lives, she and her family live in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and they get snow every month of the year. It's not at all unusual for her to post pictures of this beautiful blanket of white snow the first week of June, and it looks like December, because where she lives, they can get snow pretty much any week of the year. And they live on a beautiful place, and folks, that is a postcard picture when she sends it. You look out across there, and you've got snow, and then you've got that split rail fence, and it is an absolutely Mm. gorgeous place. And hopefully we'll go out there one day and visit with them, and it won't be during a time of snow. (laughs) We'd be missing a good chance because it can snow there any time. But you need to check your snow shovels. Are they in good working order? Have they cracked? Did they crack last year? Are they going to break on you when you get ready to use them this year? If you live in an area that a lot of snow piles up on the roof, you need to check your rake for the roof. You need a snow rake. Is there such a thing as a snow rake? There is a snow rake. It's very long handle, and it's for reaching up on the roof and pulling that snow off. How about that? That sounds like fun. Because, I mean, no. (laughs) I bet it's not, though. (laughs) Their folks get five, six, eight, ten, twelve inches worth of snow on the roof, and you need to pull it off because that stuff gets heavy. I actually had a leak from a roof because of some snow and ice that made their way up under a shingle. Mm-hmm. And then there was a rapid thaw, and all that water just went right on into the attic. And I had a, a leaking roof because of snow and ice. And snow blowers. 
They're gasoline operated, most of them. You need to check those, make sure they're ready. If it needs to go to the shop, go ahead and get it ready to go. And for the fun part, make sure your snow machine's ready to go. Snow machine, so you can make snow to ski with? No, that is a, we call them uh, ski-mobiles. Oh, yeah, like a snowmobile you're talking about. Right, snow, okay. uh, I said ski-mobile, it's snowmobile. <laughs> but the folks that do them all the time and race them and run them, the folks up in Alaska, they all call them snow machines. A snow so machine. I will okay. defer to, to them. They know much more what's going on. Well, I tell you, for safety reasons, too, you need to stock up on ice melt. And some people will use rock salt. And then there's other types of products that are professionally formulated to do ice melt on sidewalks and driveways. I have slipped and fallen on my own icy sidewalk. And let me tell you, it's not fun. Especially when you're by yourself and you have to find, I mean, I look like I should have had one of those funniest home video things because the more I tried to get up, the more I, you know, kept falling down and would land in the snow next to the sidewalk. I didn't have any ice melt, but I sure wish that I had then and I hadn't forgotten that experience. And I'm sitting over here being very, very quiet because she is within arm's reach. (laughs) Smart. All right. Now, something else, a lot of us enjoy being outside in the wintertime, and we need to renew the waterproofing on our boots and our jackets. And sometimes if you wear those boots a lot, it may be every couple of months that you need to do that, but it will be when the water stops beating on the surface, when that water stops beating up and is kind of soaking into the surface of your boot. And I'm talking leather boots and stuff like that. That's when you know you need to redo. You need to redo that and and do it ahead of time. Do it before it starts actually leaking. That's exactly right. And uh, you can use the proper treatment. There are leather preservatives and conditioners by the brand name would be Neats, N-E-E-T-S, Neats Foot Oil. That's actually a type of oil. Is it is it for feet or shoes? <laughs> it's for it's for shoes and leather. It's a leather conditioner and waterproofer, much like mink oil is. It does a very very good job on mink oil. Now, interestingly, in researching some of this, I found that mink oil was used by the Native American Chippewa tribe, and it was used as a skin care. It was found, and they these ladies knew that that mink oil made their skin very, very soft. Well, some of our listeners, some of the ladies of our listeners, may be of a certain age. They remember that there was a mink oil hairspray that was all the rage back in the 80s and maybe early 90s. I'm not sure we can find it anymore. There's other oils now that are not animal-based, but I remember when mink oil hairspray was the hot thing because it did. It was like a spray-on conditioner for your hair, and it made your hair super shiny and lustrous and it obviously did have a protective factor in it so for mink oil to be used on leather would be a great conditioner for that you can also use waterproofing wax and there's a brand name of that and it's referred to as g-wax i don't remember the exact name of that but it's a cream or some type of wax that you rub onto your boots and onto your leatherware now they also make a spray weatherproofing or spray waterproofing. And I have used this on ponchos and on my hunting pants. You're familiar with that pair of slick front camo jeans that I have. They're jeans on the back and slick front on the... Mm -hmm. And so I'll spray the front of those with that spray. And it's a silicon-based. 
Now, it does have an odor, so if you're going to use this for hunting, then you need to let that hang outside in a protected area on the garage, in the garage or on the patio or under the carport for some days to let that smell dissipate before you take it into the woods Uh because deer and other animals will smell that at quite a distance, but it's good to be dry when you're hunting or fishing or whatever. Also something to think about is that you need to have a plan for power outages. Some of us live in areas that will be affected by ice storms. Ice storms are particularly treacherous when it comes to power lines. Whereas if you just have snow, snow generally isn't that big of a of an issue for power lines if it's just snow. Now that freezing rain where it drops and freezes, it's right at the freezing temperature when it hits and it mm-hmm. freezes on the lines. Yeah, freezing rain and then what we call an ice storm where it just continuously builds up ice. That's where you have power outages. So you'll need to go ahead and get a plan together for when your power is out. You don't really know for how long, hopefully an hour or less in most cases. But we do have some rural listeners. They may be out of power two, three days, a week or more. My longest one was a week, and that was in 1993. And And it was winter weather, wasn't it? It was winter weather, and it was March the 12th of 1993, and we wound up with 24 inches of snow on the back deck. That's just unheard of in Alabama. But we did a recent podcast on this, on power outages, and it talks a lot about alternative heating and alternative lighting. So that might be one that you want to go back and listen to. But you do need to plan for that alternative heating and that alternative lighting. Well, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors, and we will return with winterizing our cars and being prepared for breakdowns, accidents, and being stuck on the road. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you about a couple of books that you need to add to your collection and give as gifts. I highly encourage that you go to Amazon and look up this title, Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life or the life of someone you care about. If injured, lost, or found in a disaster or another type of emergency. This book was written by Mark and Krista Lolly. I'm Krista and Mark is my husband. Book number two that we wrote that we're especially proud of and has gotten a lot of buzz is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. This is a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And when we say practical prepping, we mean the type of emergencies you're going to find yourself in day in and day out. Car emergencies, dead batteries, flat tires, storm damage, the roof has gotten blown off, you find that you have no power, no electricity, no devices are working. These kinds of things are happening to somebody somewhere every single day. And we were astonished when we did a little research to find that a vast majority of people found themselves woefully unprepared for one or more of these types of emergencies. And particularly after this COVID year that we've experienced, I think a whole lot more of us are paying closer attention to things like grocery store supply chains, the ability to be able to buy gas, the ability to be able to move freely about, or what's going to happen if we do have to stay home for three weeks solid. Practical Prepping for Everyday People by Mark and Krista Lolly, also making contact during emergencies. Go to Amazon, look these up, add these to your collection. We sure appreciate it. Back in the day, if you had a business, you put an ad in the phone book and maybe the newspaper. 
When a prospective customer wanted what you did or sold, they would look you up in the yellow pages and give you a call on the landline. Well, that's not so anymore. In fact, if customers are under the age of 30, they may not even know what a phone book is. Today, everyone goes to the Internet looking for information before they buy. Even those of us who grew up with the phone book are going to the Internet before making buying decisions. In the 1990s and early 2000s, it was enough to have a website that told people your name, what you did, where you were, and your phone number. They looked you up and gave you a call. Websites were relatively easy to build, and they were all pretty basic. But they were websites, and we had a presence. Not so today. Prospective customers want to go to your website, find your product or service, read about it, compare it to others, then order it and pay for it online. If your business doesn't have a high-quality, very professional website, I can guarantee that your business is losing sales that you could otherwise be making. You need a professional website designer and builder, and you need good, reliable hosting. ProLine Designs built the website for our latest book, Practical Prepping for Everyday People. It's a beautiful site, and it has sold a lot of books. ProLine Designs is now building our rebranded Practical Prepping website, which will include a blog, forum, articles, books, and items to purchase, as well as our podcasts. ProLine Designs also hosts our websites at lower cost than any other comparable company we found. That's value. And their reliability? Well, we have never experienced a website outage. That's reliability. ProLine Designs. Welcome back to segment two, and let's talk about winterizing our vehicles. Yes, one of the very first things you want to check on your car, truck, van, whatever you're driving, you want to check the antifreeze. The oil change places may or may not check that. Uh, Often they just check the level of the coolant, but antifreeze is a completely different type of a thing. And so you want to make sure that if if you know how to check it or you go to some place that has it checked, make certain that they check the antifreeze. Your antifreeze needs to test out lower than the coldest temperature that you would expect. Uh Here, I make sure our antifreeze is good down to about 10 degrees below zero. Below zero? 10 degrees below zero. We don't, we we rarely get 10 degrees above zero. So 10 below zero, that's that's a pretty good safe. But I have seen it four below Uh in Birmingham, Alabama. It's rare, but it does happen. I want to make sure that our antifreeze will handle whatever. Now, you need to use some extreme caution if you're opening that radiator. It is hot and it is under pressure. But if you have had a full level of coolant, you can actually test the coolant, the antifreeze, in the reservoir box. Now, when you talk about it being hot and under pressure, you're talking about you've been driving the car. If you've been driving. Now, if your car is cold and been sitting idle for hours. You can go out there and remove the radiator cap very safely, no problem. And I'd suggest doing that. Just come in, sit down, have dinner, go out there and check it. Give it plenty of time to cool. But be very, very careful if that engine is hot when you open that radiator. It will be under pressure. And I know that you had a friend in high school that a radiator blew on him trying yeah, to I was check. just thinking about him. He 
it's one of those cases where he knew better in his head, but he thought he needed to get that radiator cap off as quickly as possible, and it burned him severely. He was in the hospital. It was awful. And it's just because he pulled the cap off a hot radiator of a car he had been driving. And all every every unsafe thing was taking place at that point. And, you know, he, and he got burned. He got burned, and he still has some scars on his face. Now, if your battery is four years old or older, go ahead and have it checked. Somewhere around four years old, your battery is going to start losing its giddy-up-go, and you just need to have that checked. You can run by one of the parts stores, and they will often check those for you for free. They put a tester on there, and it's not just making sure it's putting out 12 volts. They put it under a load and make sure it's going to hold up. And your battery seemed to fail at two times, very cold weather and very hot weather. Uh So that's a good thing to go ahead and have checked early on. And that reminds me, I don't think we've replaced the battery in your car since we bought it. We need to check that. We do. And we've we've owned that car over four years. And it was a used car when we bought it. Well, I think it came with a new battery. I believe you're right. We will check on that within the next few days. Check your tires. You need to check those tires because tires do lose pressure. A lot of the more modern cars actually have a tire, a low tire symbol that will flash onto the dash. But some of us are driving cars that are maybe, you know, the year 2000 or earlier. Or my 1995 (laughs) or my 18, my 1984. (laughs) Yeah, right. So you just have to look at your tires. Uh, And sometimes you can tell visually if they're low, but you just don't want to wait till they get where they look low. You want to make sure that you maintain the proper pressure for the type of tire that you have. Not all tires are the same. And it'll say on the side of the tire what the pressure range is. And a tire gauge costs less than about $5. Mm-hmm. Pick one up, put it in a glove box every now and then, take it out and check the pressure on that tire. Make sure it's properly inflated. Make sure it matches within the range that's on the side of the tire. That's for optimum performance. Now, you can check the tread depth as well. One of the things that you can do is take a nickel, turn it upside down, and stick it down into the tread. If you can see the top of the president's head on the nickel, the the tread is worn down. The tread is worn Now, there's also tread wear indicators, and that's a straight line across the tire. And so if that straight line is even with the rest of your tread, it's time to replace it. Interesting. It will wear down to that line that's built in all the way across the tire, and it's a tread depth indicator. You may even want to have your tires rotated, particularly if you know you haven't had it done in about six months. Right before wintertime is a good time to have those tires rotated. And depending on where you live, you may even have to change to a, what they call a winter tire. There's snow tires, there's there's winter gauge tires, and then there's spring and summer tires. There's some areas of the country and areas of the world where you actually do change out your sets of tires oh, yeah. some for places, what you're driving in. They even run studded tires mm-hmm, exactly. in, in some places. But now that brings up another thing, and it's if you do a lot of driving and you're going to be on snow and ice, it's good to have a set of tire chains in your vehicle. And I say in your vehicle, it doesn't do any good if you're at work and it snows and your chains are in the garage. True. They need to be in your car. Yes. You know, if you, if you have any inkling that you might need those snow chains on your tires, have them with you. 
Now, go ahead and change the oil if the time or the mileage is getting close. Yeah, a lot of times, too, it, if you're having the blizzard or the ice storm, that's not the time to get the oil changed. You know, let's think about being a prepared person and go and do this. If it, Even if it is three or four weeks early, if the weather's good, that's a good and you've or got the time. Or if you're three or 400 miles before the next oil change, right. go ahead and change go it. Go ahead because and do it. When it gets to that point, you know, it's too cold out there. It's raining out there. I don't want to go today. Just go ahead and get that done early. Now, here's one that we don't think about a lot of times until one goes out, and that's check your headlight. Right. You want to look at your headlights. and Headlight covers can become very yellowed over time, and that actually can inhibit the brightness and clarity of your night vision there. And, you know, replacing some of those is three, $400. Or more. Or more. And I mean, they can even go up as $300 per headlight to replace right. that, that headlight cover. Now, Mark and I have actually been professionally trained to restore headlights. And we're not talking about rubbing toothpaste or, or furniture polish. We're talking about we actually take drills and chemicals, and we have an, about a 16-step process. It takes about an hour and a half per headlight. We, we have been trained by a professional in the headlight business, and we know how to do that. We can restore headlights down to achingly clear clarity. But we only do that on ours now. We, yeah, we just do that on that, ours. We, that, we, that's a past life, and we still have mm-hmm. the equipment and the chemicals to do that. And it does make so much difference, and I will guarantee you that yours need restoring if they are 10 years old or older. And, you know, depending on the make of the car depends on how yellow they might be. You know, certain cars just have an age on their headlight covers worse than others. So definitely... Find out where you can have yours professionally done. A lot of mechanics and auto body shops actually offer professional headlight restoration. And I can promise you it's well worth it. And actually the guy that taught us could do an entire car in about 45 minutes, but we were so good. We stretched it out to about an hour and a half. (laughs) So it's not expensive. It doesn't take that long. So now here's something that you have quite a bit of experience with and that's rvs and campers when you had all those buses over a period of time that you were traveling around the country singing oh yes i i actually owned six different class a rvs over about a 15 year period of time and so uh, during that time i learned a great deal about rv maintenance recreational vehicle maintenance and this can also apply if you have something that's other than a Class A, maybe a Class C or something like that, or a pull-behind or a fifth wheel or something like that. There's different mechanisms and generators and tanks and all the various types of things that are part of the buildup of an RV, and they need to be winterized. If you know for sure you're not going to be driving around full-time like some of our retired friends do, which we're very jealous, if you know that RV is going to be put to bed for the winter, you need to winterize that RV. There's a variety of different ways depending on what your RV is. Is it a pop-up camper or is it a Class A bus? You know, is it one of those? Your your owner's manual and the dealerships where you buy these 
RVs. They are loaded with tips and tricks and hacks and the best ways to winterize your vehicle so that when you lock it down for the winter, that it's going to be very stable and well-maintained. So when the nice warm weather comes in the spring and you want to bust that RV back out on the road, it'll be ready to go rock and roll because if you haven't winterized it, you're going to be in some engine and generator trouble. About all I know about winterizing a camper and an RV is to make sure the black water tank is empty before the cold weather gets here. Ooh, yes. That's about the extent of what I know because well, I know yeah. you don't want that That's part freezing of it. up. That's part of it. Okay, now let's talk about some items that we need to regularly carry in our car during the winter. Yeah, this is something we discovered recently. I was reading about this not too long ago myself. You can actually take a plastic spray bottle, an empty spray bottle that you can buy at any like Dollar General type store, and you can make a 50-50 mixture of rubbing alcohol and fresh water. That's exactly what I have in my patrol vehicle. So what this does, this is safer than pouring a pan full of boiling water onto a frozen windshield because that's the fastest way I know to crack it. You don't want to pour any hot or steaming water on any frozen windshield or even if there's a light amount of frost and you don't want to scrape it or you don't have a scraper. If it's a cold windshield, you do not want to pour hot water on it. Yeah, you don't. Just don't do that. But you can take this 50-50 mixture in your spray bottle, non-aerosol pump spray bottle. And because alcohol won't freeze, it has properties that will dissolve that frozen frost and all that ice off of your windshield much more quickly. Now, it doesn't do a great job on thick ice, like if you've had freezing rain, but then you probably don't need to be out there driving in it anyway. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to scrape that off. And so an ice scraper is a good thing to carry with you and to have in your car. And I just put mine right down beside between my seat and the door, and it just lays right there. Mm-hmm. But if I go out and I don't have that scraper, and we're talking frost here. Yeah, that little light where you can see the little snowflake it, patterns. Even if it's white all the way across, but it's not ice, but it's frost, mm-hmm. a credit card or debit card will also work for yeah. that. You can scrape it off with that, but do not pour hot water on it. You will need a new windshield. Something else to keep in the car, and this may be where, if you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, you'll recall our go bag our what we call our car bag. And in our car bag, we're going to carry extra flashlights and extra batteries. Plus, we have them in the glove box. Exactly. I mean, we, we like a lot of redundancy when it comes to our level of preparedness. Three is two, two is one, one is none. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, so you need that flashlight and batteries. Now, it's also a good idea to put a chem light stick in there. That's one of those that you break and it burns with the yellow, not burns, but it glows with the yellow or the orange color. It's a chemical stick and you break it and it'll last 8, 10, 12 hours, whatever they're rated for. If you happen to be stuck in your car and you need some lighting in there, that's a pretty good way to go. You can break that, hang it up on the rearview mirror, and you've got light inside, and you're not having to use your flashlight for that. You also want to make sure that you've got redundancy on phone chargers and any kind of a power bank and cords that would be needed to do any charging of any devices that you carry with you. Yeah, you don't want to depend upon your 
lighter plug, I say lighter plug, your power plug now, I think they call it. We've just cars, aged ourselves yeah, because we've aged when, ourselves. We, when we were growing up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, the cars actually had that punch-in cigarette lighter. cigarette lighter, and it became useful. You could take that out and use it as a 12-volt, you know, power source. But now they call it a, a power a power. Power Bang, source. Power, you know. They also, the cars then also came with ashtrays in the front they and sure rear. Did. They it, sure did. There was one in the middle under the radio, and there was one in the back seat in each door handle and one on the right side in the door handle. So there were four or five ashtrays in every car. <laughs> but you no longer have those, but you do have that power source that you can plug into. But you don't want to depend on that just in case you have a dead battery in your car and right. a dead battery in your phone at the same time. So that's where a power bank comes in very, very handy. Yes, keep that well charged. Now let's go to my one of my favorite topics. Food. Food. And this is something to keep in the vehicle also. This is great for the car bag. You want some non-perishable foods you're going to eat, foods that you like. They don't always have to match our list, but we're going to give you a short list of what works well in a car bag and can last over time. Yeah, they, these work very well, just putting them in the car, leaving them there. And we've actually, we've got jerky on the top of the list. Now, we were coming back from North Carolina a few months back, and we got stuck in a traffic jam that was several hours on the road. Mm -hmm. And we actually devoured a pack of jerky. We did. And it was, beat the wolf off of us there. (laughs) It took care of the hunger grumbles. Yep. We also have power bars or something like a nutrition bar, a like a kind or a cliff bar, you know, that kind of thing. It's got some nutrition to it, a granola bar, something that's like a whole grain that might have some fruit filling, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times they have nuts and berry, cranberries or dried cherries or something like that because they can last for several months in the package. It's anything that's not going to freeze in there. It's not going, it's going to be impervious to heat Mm -hmm. to some degree. Might already be freeze dry. And, you know, if you change these out every six months or so, you're in great shape and, Probably in my bag, they go about a year before I change them out, and I'm not afraid to eat them if I'm really hungry. Now, talking about freezing, this one is going to depend upon your locality, and that is water. Now, I don't have a problem with keeping water in my patrol car and in my Jeep, but it doesn't get that cold. But in the wintertime, sometimes I'll put half bottles of water in there. Right, because water must expand when it freezes. It will expand when it freezes. Well, I'm saying it it will. Yeah, you're right, exactly. And if you've got a completely full-to-the-top bottle of water, or you've got a water bottle that's not been opened, there may be only an eighth of an inch of space between the water and the cap. And that ice, when that bottle freezes, it's going to bust, and it's going to create a mess. So definitely uh, open some up and, and, I don't know, just use the water, drink the water, and and close it back up, maybe Take a quarter of that volume out uh, just to give your water somewhere to expand. I thought about that today. I opened the freezer and there was a bottle of water laying on its side. And when it was frozen, it was standing up and it's half full. So if you open the freezer and you see that it is horizontal, you know that that freezer has thawed out. Uh-huh. And so that, now why that came to my mind, I am not <laughs> totally sure. But let's go ahead. Here's some items that you can have in case of breakdowns, accidents, 
or if you get stuck in traffic. Yes, they actually have magnetic hazard lights now uh, or some sort of a battery-powered road flare, something that you could attach, a magnetic hazard light that you can attach to the metal areas of your car. They or, work well. Stick yeah. them on the trunk, put a couple of them back there. Mm-hmm. And the ones we have, and they were not expensive. They they like 10 bucks for three of them. They're mm-hmm. triangular, and they will do white that which is great for changing the tire they'll do a strobe or they'll do a red strobe mm-hmm. and so those are good to have in the car or if you have battery powered road flares if you've got a breakdown or you're expecting the, a wrecker and they're trying to find you in the darkness those battery powered road flares if you got to distance them out you know you've got, you need to be seen several yards ahead you need to be able to be seen hand. about a hundred yards mm-hmm. in advance at yes. minimum I was going to work one day, and I popped over a hill, and there was a truck just parked right in the middle of the roadway. Oh, my word. And he had a he had his orange cone behind his car. Oh, but you didn't. And so yeah. I pulled up, and I'm in my patrol car. And so I pulled up, and I said, man, you need to get something on top of that hill, or somebody's going to run in the back of your truck. Exactly. That particular road, though it was a 45-mile-an-hour zone, They'll run down through there 60, 65 miles an hour, and you come over that hill, and there'd be no way to stop at mm-hmm. 65 miles an hour without hitting him. True. And if it's at night, it's even worse, and you can use those hazard lights or those battery-powered road flares. Now, here's one that you need to have. Yes. There's just, no substitute for it when you need it. And that would be a set of jumper cables, or what I have is called a jump box. And I like my jump box because I can use my jump box by myself with no other vehicle around to bring life back to my dead battery. Now, jumper cables, if you're familiar with that, that requires your, uh, you've got another your dead vehicle. car, but it requires another vehicle to hook up with in order to draw the power from them to you. So you do need to have another individual there. And you don't always have that you know or you don't you maybe you don't feel very comfortable or safe asking a stranger to help you in your time of distraught need because you're you're stuck that's why i bought a jump box one because i knew that i could do it i knew that it would not be impossible for me to learn how to start my own battery and two i found that i felt more secure not having to depend on a stranger and my jump box worked very quickly and it was mess-free, and it's very easy to use, and, and we got a good one, and you've actually used it more than I have. I've loaned it to you to use for work, and I don't know how many batteries you've started with that jump box out there in the world. Quite a few. Now, another good thing about something like a jump box, and, and they make these in a number of sizes. You can get them somewhat inexpensively. Now, yours, I think, would jump off a Caterpillar bulldozer. Well, yes. mine is Mine's actually considered what's called the professional dealer size. Mm-hmm. It's what, and I didn't realize that's what it was at the time, and I paid, you know, over $160 for it, and it was on sale. It's normally about a $400 box. Right, and... And it, it's got a lot of power, but you can purchase some 60 or $70 little jump boxes. Now, they won't jump a diesel engine, but a standard car, and they're very small, and they'll fit in your glove box. Mm-hmm. And some of them will last a fairly long time. Some of them are good for a couple of years, and that's about it. Yeah. But now, one of the things that you can do with these is you can charge your cell phones with them. True. You can also use it, and I have done this, 
is to run a ham radio off of. Mm-hmm. And you just put the red one to the red one and the black one to the black one, and there you go. It's that simple. <laughs> it, it's a bad, It's a power source. Yes. And, I mean, seriously, folks, it's that easy to use. Put the red one on the red or on the positive. Put the black one on the black or the negative and crank your car. All right, let's go ahead. Here's some things that we don't think about sometimes, and that is carrying blankets or emergency blankets or a sleeping bag in the car. Well, we're talking specifically about winterizing, and we're talking about cold weather threat. And there are times when we'll be traveling in our car, and for whatever the reason, there may be a stranding, or it just might be where you don't want to run the heater the whole time. Well, you might slide off the road, be in a snow bank or in a ditch, and you may be somewhere where help's not coming along right. anytime real soon. So you've got to warm yourself up. And, and you can crawl in a sleeping bag in a car and you can stay toasty warm. You actually can. Yeah. You can wrap yourself in these inexpensive 3 or $4 emergency Mylar blankets. They mm-hmm. reflect a lot of heat. Some people will actually find or they'll have... After they've moved from one place to another, a lot of moving companies, believe it or not, will actually give you the moving blanket. Not always, but those moving blankets, they're heavy. They're almost like a horse blanket, and they're very hard-wearing, and they're not like your grandmother's you know, sentimental quilt or anything like that. Take something utilitarian. It's going to go in the car. So you know, put something in there that you don't mind getting a little bit dirty from time to time because it's going to be in the car and... And uh, that just kind of needs to be used for that purpose. Don't use your precious heirlooms, you know, for something like that. And I saw those on sale in a flyer for Harbor Freight, I think. I believe it was Harbor Freight. Not too long ago, mm-hmm. and they were like 6 or $7 each. And they're a big, the, you know, They really are. Moving blanket. They'll cover a piano. Yes. And so if they'll cover a piano, they'll cover me. <laughs> Something else to carry in there would be the old-fashioned, and I'm being very specific, old-fashioned clay cat litter. Because that can be used to put behind some stuck tires that are slipping around in frozen mud. You can apply some clay cat litter to the back of those tires or the front of those tires, whichever it works, and that'll give the tire traction to be able to pull itself up out of its stuck position. Now, one other thing that you probably want to do, especially some of you ladies who wear these pretty little shoes, is you want to put some boots and warm socks in that car. And we're talking about, we're not talking stiletto heel, fancy schmancy boots. We're talking about winter hiking boots. We're talking about something you can get out and trek in the snow if you had to find your way to some place of safety or somewhere to Mm -hmm. get help. And it'd be good to be able to put those warm socks on and those boots on. Now, let's talk about a subject here that we don't normally think about, and this comes about from having been stuck in hours-long traffic tie-ups on the interstate. This could happen when the interstate gets frozen. My niece was traveling near Knoxville. There was a traffic accident ahead, shut her lane down, the snow fell, And her lane didn't go anywhere for 24 hours. That's a long time. She she was stuck there. You know what happens in a 24-hour period besides getting hungry and thirsty? Well, you got to go. You got to go. You know, you can't help it. Everybody goes. So let's talk about the possible need for, shall we say, sanitation when we're stuck on the road. 
It yes. happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're, basically, we're talking about going to the bathroom. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're not always out where, like us guys, you know, we can go check that tree up in the woods. Well, ladies have said this for years. The world is your urinal. Absolutely. I mean, let's face it. That's true. I mean, you could literally just go into the world. But some of us would prefer not having to traipse down into 16 feet of snow on the on a cliff side of a 100-foot drop. So we've got to have an alternative plan. Mm-hmm. Now, you had a great idea when you were driving a minivan, when you kept the small trash can in there with the kitchen-sized trash bags. You kept that not for the sanitation purpose, but right. you kept it. I mean, you, you had a neat van that you threw all your trash in the trash can, but Mm-hmm. In a pinch, you know, you could put that between the seats and make a toilet out of it. Well, you could. I mean, this is where you take one thing and can use it for something else. And uh, when my daughter was quite small, the, sometimes the thought occurred to me that if it would be dark at night and we would not know where we were, if we were 58 miles from the nearest actual commode that we would have to go out in the woods and if it's dark black midnight i i don't want to be walking around we don't know what kind of creatures may be out there so it it dawned on me that that little litter pan that little litter bag trash can that we had in our van could be a makeshift toilet if the need arises so i've never forgotten that that you know if that's if that's going to happen, you know, if you're stuck for 24 hours outside of Knoxville in the middle of a snowstorm, you can't hold it. With traffic in front of you and traffic <laughs> behind you. So you're just going to have to find a way to crouch under your moving blanket and go to the bathroom. And it's something to think about. <laughs> literally, I hadn't thought about that. You literally could put the moving blanket over you and use that trash can with the liner as a toilet. Right, and then tie it off. That you know. works very well in a minivan or something larger. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how well it'll work in a compact or a sports car well that might be if you can you may have to rack your seat all the way back (laughs) and give yourself a lot of leg room um we're just being real talk right here i mean these are things that people a lot of us have never had to do this but Mm -hmm. there are people listening that said you know what i had to do that or i wish that i had a little trash can i wish i know i'm going to tell you the truth i will not name names but i know of a friend who was stuck not in knoxville but a similar situation and all she had at her disposal was her very expensive coach leather handbag and her insulated lunch bag and she had to go and i ain't talking number one okay so she just said lunch bag it's gonna be you and so at some point she had some private discretion where nobody around could see what she was doing and she took care of nature's call and this is the one she said where if you find a nice lunch (laughs) bag on the side of the road do not open it well i asked her i said what did you See, I would have brought it home and just thrown it away. She said no. She said when she got driving, she rolled her window down and she tossed it somewhere in the woods. I said, oh, dear, no, you did. She goes, she was just desperate. You know, desperate times call for desperate measures. I would take it home and dispose of it properly. I, so I would too. But she if was you're just, listening you know, to this and you find a nice lunch box on the side of the road, be real careful. <laughs> be real opening. careful. All right. Well, we want to thank our sponsors tonight for this episode, and that's ProLine Designs and Practical Prepping for Everyday People. And you will find those links in the show notes as well as on the website. Anything else you want to add tonight before we go? I just want you to know that winter is coming, so get prepared. 
And folks, we do appreciate you. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button and share this episode with your friends. You've got some friends that need to hear this. And the podcast is growing exponentially. And we have you to thank for that because there's no way that we could do the marketing efforts that it would take to grow it as you have. So we certainly appreciate that. And we will see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Hopefully you've learned something, picked up a tip, or something we said may have triggered a thought that will help you in your prepping journey. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. And share it with your friends and family. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.